It is an obvious canon of all some philosophy that unless we know exactly how things happen, we must deny that they happen. Or if ever philosophy cannot so far close eyes on actuality, we must describe them to chance. I was just in my old haunts of the British Library, bringing you some research, and as you probably expected of me, I am crossing the bridge. I'm setting aside my bias for the early modern period, and I'm bringing you the Victorians and Edwardians at last. Because you might have guessed or known the quote, that's from the preface of Alistair Crowley's Treatise on Astrology, or Liber 536, from the numerical equivalent for the Hebrew word to mean the sphere of the fit stars. I'm kind of intellectually turned on by this level of nerdiness. Anyway, manifestation came to the mainstream long before TikTok and its lucky girl syndrome, when The Secret came out in 2006, first as a film and then as a book. The book has sold 30 million copies worldwide and has been translated into 50 languages. Opera swears by it and so do a lot of other people. I have never read the book, but I watched the film. And forgive me for the series title being so clickbaity, but I thought it's warranted. In today's episode, we're going to look at the history of manifestation and how it relates to the tradition of witchcraft. Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. I'm Alexis, your new witchy reefer. I'm known as Asteria in witchy circles. I'm a photographer by day and start obsessed urban witch by night. Sometimes the opposite, often both at once. And I'm as star obsessed as Natsuki Shinomiya in Utapri. Or just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm a Capricorn Sun, Scorpio Moon, and Scorpio Rising. Probably a Lyran Star Seed, a Tarot Lover, and all of my lipsticks have a spell on them. I started this podcast to share my passion and the empowerment and self-love that Cosmic Witchcraft brought into my life. Come every Thursday for captivating conversations about life, business, and magic that blend the practical with the wool. I bring you all-out history geek solo episodes and amazing guests to explore the ways in which we can bring more enchantment into our lives. Ready to live life limitless? Then let's dive into today's episode. Um... This is not an episode specifically on astrology, but I chose that quote because it shows how the debate hasn't really moved on in a century. 
on one side you have the cynics who don't believe in manifestation. On the other, you have those who do and would credit it for the life they have. And both are right. Which puts the sceptical witch in a tough spot, but that's a topic for next week. This week, I want to look at manifestation, how it's commonly defined, and why we think of it that way. And how we can think about it in a better way if we look at the history of magic. I was just listening to an episode of the Keeping Your Keys podcast on the topic of how our sun sign influences how we relate to the goddess and apparently Capricorns like traditions and rules. And I think I have zero room to try and deny it. Now, if you've been with me on this journey since early on. By the way, thank you and I love you. And if you're new, welcome. I love you too. So... Manifestation in its dictionary definition is an event, action or object that clearly shows or embodies something abstract or theoretical. In spirituality, it refers to our ability to have such an event, action or object that shows or embodies what was once a vision. The life I have now was once the daydreams of my teenage self and hopefully soon I will be recording these from a flat in Tokyo having actualized the visions of my present self. You can visualize it in meditation or script it or speak it out loud. It doesn't matter. If you start university with the goal of graduating, that's manifestation. The naysayers now would be like, but you're going to work your ass off. It's nothing supernatural. And that's true but also a misunderstanding of manifestation. You are not supposed to wait for things to fall into your lap while you sit in bed, but you could be meeting your untimely death and never graduate. So there clearly is more at play in life than our wills and our actions. The key difference is whether you believe you have any power to influence these forces outside of ourselves or you don't. If you don't, that's fair enough. But manifestation is what happens when one believes that they do. Although that opens up a can of worms around whether we manifest bad things. So hold that thought because I'm going to address it later. So the secret is basically a sanitized Bastille New Agey reinterpretation of a 1910 book by Wallace Wattles titled The Science of Getting Rich which was a part of a spiritual and intellectual movement called New Thought. It's not an organised movement, more like an academic label for a bunch of membership organisations that came out at the same time with similar ideas. And while there are some unfounded claims that they were influenced by all manners of ancient and oriental philosophies, any close look at the actual people and books we have in circulation shows us how it was a fundamentally Christian movement. It goes without saying that for a lot of orthodoxy they were not Christian, but at the very least it grew out of Christianity in the way Unitarian Universalism and Transcendentalism did. In fact, part of the New Thought movement is an offshoot of the Unity Church. And this is relevant because of how a lot of the law of attraction has things in common with the prosperity gospel and other American-centric views of our connection with the divine. 
what also appears to have, at the very least, tried to ride the wave of popularity of the Christian science movement. And there's very little to suggest it did not still hold to some beliefs about God inherited from Christianity, even after it diverged from Methodism. New Thoughts holds fairly standard views of the divine as their declared principle to this day, and those beliefs echoed in the things he was writing in the early 1900s. By the time he wrote his three published books on success, health and money, the law of attraction had become an established idea in American thought, with the first iteration considered to be Prentice Mulford's essays from 1886 to 1892 that have been collected in a book titled Your Forces and How to Use Them. The very first line of the book, a supreme power and wisdom governs the universe. Familiar, isn't it? One of the funniest things about The Secret is how they talk about the law of attraction as if it is some occult knowledge only passed down through initiation when all of these new thought thinkers were quite obviously well known in their time. People like Madame Blavatsky, the Russian mystic who co-founded the Theosophical Society, were outright celebrities in their time in the US. Now, Blavatsky's connection to the spiritualist movement is one of a handful of things that supports the idea New Thought was influenced by ancient and Eastern philosophies, as the goal of the society was to promote the study of occultism and the Kabbalah. A lot of Blavatsky's thinking was, unsurprisingly, hermetic and neoplatonic in origin, and in the vogue of the time, she aimed to bring to the masses the synthesis of science, religion, and philosophy. She was definitely controversial, even at the time, and she'd be even more so now, given how much she took from world religions. I don't really truly care whether she was a charlatan or not, because being able to scam people requires people to care about what you present to offer just as much as if you were offering it real. So to me, as a historian, her popularity is what counts, Something that fascinates me, though, is that according to the Wikipedia page for The Secret, the other influence on Byrne was a man by the name of Norman Vincent Peale, who was a Protestant pastor and the author of The Power of Positive Thinking, published in 1952. In truth, from what's in the actual film, I can see the influence of Christianity a lot more obviously than that of Hermeticism, even though my impression of Byrne is that she is not claiming that affiliation and in some ways she's quite careful to present herself as more spiritual and new agey, while also not so new agey as to be of putting so many years after the 70s. And, in a way, you see here why I have a beef with the popular views of manifestation. It seems to me to be poorly disguised Christian self-help with an American coating of over-reliance and the cult of individualism. But I promised you an alternative timeline that could give us a different way to 
view manifestation. And so I'm going to take you deeper into theosophy and the tradition behind it. I mentioned earlier that Blavatsky co-founded the Theosophy Society. The other people involved were William Kwan Judge and Henry Steele Orcott. Orcott, who was also a founding member of the New York Conference of Spiritualists, is best known for being one of the first two Westerners to make a formal conversion to Buddhism, the other being Blavatsky. They moved to India in order to promote the right interpretations of the sacred text and countered the growing popularity of westernized ideas of what Buddhism was that were circulating at the time. To that aim, he wrote the Buddhist Catechism in 1881, a text that is still in use. As they moved to India, Judge stayed behind to run the Theosophical Society, although he also spent a period in India, and he was a prolific writer on both spiritual themes and social justice issues. I just wanted to mention that because the more Christian timeline of ideas was one subject of his criticism. And these ideas show us the unrealized potential of these spiritual concepts to improve the lives of everyone, not just ourselves. So, theosophy is largely the product of the thinking of these three people and the way in which they brought together the Western tradition with the Eastern one at a time of growing interest in blending the spiritual and the scientific for the betterment of the human condition. And you probably guessed, over in London, it was the time of the establishment of the Golden Dawn and other esoteric societies. Esoteric thought has permeated European intellectual history throughout, and that's definitely something I'd be up for covering in more detail than the little bits I've had here and there. But by the 19th century, it had become specifically occultism. Occultism as a concept traces back to the 1500s, when it was used to describe the tradition of astrology, alchemy and natural magic, namely the occult or hidden sciences. Is resurfaced in texts from the 1840s and 50s, including the book on ceremonial magic by Eliphas Levy, who you may remember from the tarot episode in season one. Another famous French occultist was Gérard Ancoste, who founded France's first occult society, the Kabbalistic Order of the Rose Cross, as well as being an agnostic bishop and a member of other temples, including the parish branch of the Golden Dawn. Honestly, Victorian occultism is a who's who. Everyone is within the six degrees of separation, and probably more like two at the most. Anyway, towards his later life, Ancos also founded the Martinist Order, after claiming to have come into possession of the original writings of 18th-century theosophist and theurgist Martinez de Pascali, who was one of two people to whom Martinism traces back. Now, Martinez himself had founded a hermetic order in 1761, which was an esoteric Christian order focused on theurgy, or divine magic, 
for the purpose of perfecting oneself through union with the divine, which was ritually summoned. This kind of magic traces all the way back to Neoplatonic writings such as the Chaldeum's oracles, which seems to be a book stalking me lately, but that's a story for another time. The other Martinism is also a form of Christian mysticism, linked to the writings of Louis-Claude de Saint-Martin, who is thought to have been a student of Martinez, anyway. His own writing remains strongly Catholic in spirit, although he has been censored by the Inquisition. And he was an influence on a Church of England cleric of his time, William Law, whom he met on his travels. Law, who was also influenced by other prominent mystics of the 17th and early 18th century, was himself an influence on the English Romantics, especially in William Blake. To recap where we are so far, the philosophy that developed in the United States and the philosophy that developed in Europe, while both still heavily influenced by Christianity late into the 19th century, have different approaches to the connections to the divine. Ironically, one of the influences on the American trajectory towards spiritual science that we see in people like Wachtold originated in the German-speaking world with anthroposophy and the work of Rudolf Steiner, as well as Scandinavia with Martinus Thompson. Although Steiner would break off from this Theosophical Society in 1912 or 13 for funding the Anthroposophy Society, which proved really popular in German-speaking countries. No matter the school of thought, though, esoteric philosophies were all concerned with the universal spiritual dimension of reality and tended not to be focused on improving our material conditions. Arguably, most of these people were either artists, intellectuals or border-rich folks, so the idea of manifesting a lottery win was not as much on their radar as trying to make meaning out of existence in an age of transition where machinery threatened everything they took for granted. And it is in this context that you can see why a worldview of enchantment becomes relevant. So, were these occultists not manifesting? Of course they were. This is the whole point of this episode. The idea of as above, so below, as within, so without goes all the way back to the Hellenistic period with Hermes Trimegistus, as mentioned way back in the very first episode of this podcast. And what is this hermetic principle if not another version of the law of attraction? It is, however, in my not-so-humble opinion, a more sophisticated one especially compared to the secret, which boils down to ask, believe and receive, and relies on a lot of assumptions about there being an all-powerful being granting our desires, like Christianity without the hard stuff. To explain why I think that, let's circle back to the occult sciences, astrology, natural magic and alchemy. Alchemy is best known for the attempts to transform base metals into gold, but it was both an esoteric and exoteric practice, exoteric being one about the outside world. 
and it was a precursor to medicine and chemistry. And the key thing for me is that the esoteric aspect of it took for granted that we can transform ourselves, which is one of the key principles of Hermeticism. It is in the late 1800s that we begin to see alchemy used in the context of sex magic, for example, which is another way to look at manifestation since sexual energy and creative energy have the same source. That's a theme we see in the works of Pascal Beverly Randolph and the Hermetic Brotherhood of Lutzer, who nobody knows if he was ever affiliated with or they just took his ideas and ran with it. And, of course, that's not entirely new in the much more prude good old England, since sets is a big part of Crowley's legacy. But sets magic could be its own episode, as could alchemy. So I'm not going into too much detail here. Suffice to say, the major difference I see in the approaches to manifestation that came to us via non-magical positive thinking type sources and actual occult ones is that esoteric traditions are much bigger on transforming us first. Next week, I'm going to talk about the science of manifestation. So what I'm about to say will come back expanded. And as much as it's easy to look at the secret and think it's all out there, there is a lot of science to back the principles. Just not the science they claim as sources within it. However, in my opinion, I don't need magic to be scientifically sound and actually quote-unquote work for it to be valuable. Because what appeals the most to me about these traditions is the idea that we can change ourselves. If the only alchemy I can do is transforming my personality using archetypes, so be it. And that's something I found really disappointing about The Secret. So much of it was about how, if only we were told this big occult idea nobody has ever heard of, that's not even really part of occult tradition anyway, but we could all be rich beyond our wildest dreams. And don't get me wrong. I am sympathetic to the idea that the law of attraction doesn't work for 90% of the people because most people don't want to put in the work necessary, including, dare I say, the work to dismantle the patriarchy and other systems that our ancestors have created that are keeping people trapped in bad circumstances. Because I've gone political with Pluto and Aquarius. I know plenty of people who seem to thrive on negativity and having something to complain about all the time. And that's without counting those for whom such a thing is probably undiagnosed clinical depression. I also know that being a witch has made me a better person. Must be all of that sets magic. Joking aside, or am I? The cliché God grant me the confidence of a middle-aged white man is a cliché for a reason. But that's our topic for next week. Better cut it here, or I will be doing the whole series on Hermeticism. I think I will do an episode about cosmic witchcraft in that tradition, since there's a lot about it I haven't yet had an opportunity to cover, whether in this season or in the future. Last week, I skipped the card and transit forecast for the week because I was ill. You can probably tell. <laughs> My voice is not quite back yet. I really struggle even with recording the intro. 
but I wanted to get it out on schedule because it was a guest episode. Speaking of which, I have an open call for guests for season four. So if you are a witch with a job outside of the online witch industry, even if you do have a witchy side hustle and want to come and chat about your practice, my inbox is open and also let me know if you know someone like that too. So our card this week is the Knight of Wands, which I think may have been our card before, but I can't remember. In my deck, it looks suspiciously like Otoya from Otapri. Although I love the horse staring at you like they're both inviting you on their quest, or more like a date. And I guess if I had to pick a card in the tarot, other than the musician, which is about manifestation, I'd probably pick this one. The knights are teenage energy, and they're not looking at the world with quite the same childlike newness as the pages, but they are still not worn down by cynicism and have that invincible quality to themselves like we used to be when we do ridiculous stuff without thinking about the consequences. Wands is, of course, the suit of passion and creativity and bringing intangible into reality. And the knight is characterised by having this almost tunnel vision around these goals that is a key aspect of manifestation, as we will see in the course of this season. The main transit was missed last week was Venus entering Leo on the 5th, which will be affecting us until October. As usual, you can look at the themes of the house where you have the sign, where you have the planet, the houses she rules through her signs, and all of the above, to find the themes to explore in your life, especially since there will be a retrograde coming up. But off the top of my head, I can't remember when that begins, it's in a while anyway, and we'll talk about it closer to the time. Tomorrow, on the 9th, Mercury will be in a set style with Neptune, and the following day we have another set style, this time the Sun with Chiron. The first transit is a good time for relaxation, creativity and spirituality, which are Neptunian topics, especially with regards to communicating with others, since it's Mercury illuminating this sphere. Sun and Karen is a good one for shadow walk and introspection, especially around our wounds of rejection and our identities. Heal thyself. The 11th is the most interesting day this week, with four transits. Pluto retrograde will return into Capricorn at 11.46am Central European time, and within the hour at 12.25pm, will be hitting the trajectory of Mercury in a trine, two minutes before Mercury will enter into Gemini. And later on, at 5.39pm, Venus will square Jupiter. The retrograde is tinted by the idea of collective evolution, especially since it will be squaring the nodes, and it's in a harmonious aspect with Neptune in Pisces. Of course, Generational planets are archetypes of the collective, but individuals are a part of the collective, and what we do in our sphere of influence influences the collective. So think of your own evolution too. Mercury in Gemini is of course good news, since it is one of the science rules, and it's a good time for all things that require communicating and making a favourable impression through that. So if you need a little boost to get around to doing something hard, like asking for a promotion or looking for a new job, your time has come. 
Although I bet when the Astro Treasure takes start coming out next week, they'll all be about dating for my science, because it has been a theme for the last week, at the very least. Apparently, I'm meant to be meeting the love of my life at this time, and aside from being told that the Utapri games were ported to Switch, I don't know how that's relevant. Which brings me to our final transit, Reno Square Jupiter, which is seen as a good time for socialising and dating. That's all from me this week. I'll be back next week with the signs of manifestation. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who'll enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email, starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time, 